So we're, uh, we're continuing this morning in this uh, sermon series, Journey to Hope, based off of the, the cantata. And you heard one of the pieces just a few minutes ago that the choir will be doing, uh, Walk Through the Valley and uh, also Balm of Gilead coming together. Those uh, spirituals that are, um, for most of us, pretty well known, uh, that are uh, calls for God to be with us in times of distress, in times of difficulty, for God to walk through us through difficult places in our life and for God to pour out healing upon us. And, uh, and so uh, there's a section out of Psalm 23. We're going to have a little Jeremiah this morning, a little bit of Matthew coming in, but uh, we're going to be kind of walking through uh, how those psalms speak to us in the, in the time and the place that we are in now. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we ask you to come and be in the midst of us and send your spirit to open our hearts and our minds to what you would say. Let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, not, what, about a year ago we did Psalm 23. Um, and we worked through that. And, you know, it starts off with that very kind of warm kind of image that we like. You know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and we get all these nice warm kind of fuzzy images of, you know, the shepherd caring for the sheep and and it's very kind of a reassuring kind of phrase. And, and what we sometimes, uh, who are more urban folks, uh, forget is that, you know, really, uh, you, you know, the reason the shepherd needs to care for the sheep is, is the sheep are really in need of that care because sheep are kind of dumb. Uh, you know, I mean, really, it, it, you know, when Jesus calls us sheep, if you're not a little bit offended, you don't know much about sheep. Um, when I lived in Atlanta, one of my ranchers out there, he raised goats and sheep, and, and he would just tell me, he would just disappear a certain time, he'd say, it's lambing season, and so I'm not going to be there for the next couple of weeks, uh, because, you know, goats, when goats have kids, he said, goats are born uh, fighting to live, he said, sheep are born trying to die. They just, they just, you know, they, they put their head down, they eat, and they wander off, and they don't know where they're at. They walk into the midst of trouble, they don't know where they're at. They'll, they'll literally stand in an area where rising water is coming up in a heavy rain. They'll just stand there in it and let it drown them. They won't get out of the water. I mean, they're just not the sharpest things on the face of the earth. And, and, and that's, you know, I know sometimes, you know, we get a little, that seems a little rash until you get in the middle of it sometimes, and you're going, how did I, how did I get here, Right? Uh, so, you know, there's, there's some uh, accuracy to that. And so we have this, this warm image of the shepherd who cares for the sheep, even if it means that the sheep, you know, really are in need of that kind of care. Uh, but the psalmist then immediately leads us into a much uh, more difficult place. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Uh, walk through the dark valley. Now, I, I'm a South Texas kid. I grew up on the coastal plains of Texas. And so I, you know, growing up, this, I didn't get this because we, we don't have valleys. Uh, we don't have dark valleys. I mean, you know, it's just, it's flat as a tabletop down there. And if you're from Kansas or Nebraska or something like that, I'm just telling you, you don't know what flat is until you go down to the coastal plains of Texas. I mean, anywhere you stand, you can see six to eight miles in any direction out there. And so having grown up down there, you know, it was always, you always knew where you were at because you could always see landmarks. You could always see the sun or the moon or the stars. I mean, it, it was, it was very easy you could always figure out where you were and where you needed to get to. And, and I didn't understand this. And then uh, we went to Israel the first time. 
And we saw the valley that, that probably is the inspiration for David's words in this psalm. And, and if you go this summer with Wynn and Sherry, they'll probably go back by this area. It's in the Judean uh, desert area, the wilderness. Uh, and, and you can see how, it, you know, you go down in there and you're, you're down in there and it's, it's dark and it's very narrow and it winds around. Uh, and I, I, I then experienced that uh, up in hiking in the mountains in Colorado where you walk into these valleys and you, you go down in there where you lose sight of what's around you and you lose sight of the sun and what's overhead and you're winding through these shadows. And, and it's very easy to get disoriented and get turned around. Uh, it's kind of like the difference between when we, when we lived in Denver, Colorado, all the streets in Denver are laid out on a grid, you know, north, south, east, west. And, and the streets are named alphabetically. So you have a street with an A name and then a B name and a C name and so forth. And then it repeats over and over. And then the streets going the other way are numbered. So if you know where you're at and you know where you're trying to get to, you can almost always figure out how to do that. But that's not the same thing as being in downtown San Antonio, is it? Right? I mean, you know, downtown San Antonio is on cow paths and creeks and laid out like a wagon wheel and everything's one way and all that. I mean, it is totally confusing. People get in there all the time and get turned around and you see them wandering around trying to figure out where the heck they're at. We even, a few years ago, we had a meeting down there I was trying to go to and uh, we had a hotel down there on the river walk and, and, and I was letting the GPS guide me in there and the GPS finally says, I, I give up. I don't know, you know, you just get that little thing circling, you know, because she's trying to figure out where the heck you are and where you're going to, and even the GPS couldn't get it. And, and sometimes that's where we end up. Sometimes that's the where life feels, that we're, we're in this dark place and things are very confusing and we're not really sure where we're going. And, and in the midst of that is, is when we most need God to come alongside of us. For the people of Israel, one of the places they felt that most keenly was, was in the time of the exile, uh, when they felt that they had lost their home, they had lost their place of worship, they were separated from God. And, and in the prophet Jeremiah, there's this lament that's lifted up. My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Um, this is where the, the, the old spiritual balm, of Gilead, balm in Gilead comes from. It comes out of these words. Uh, there's a few other references, but this is the primary one. And it's a reference to a, a plant that grows in the plains of Israel. It's a type of balsam tree or shrub uh, that grows out there. Uh, and, and it's unique to that part of the world. And the seed pods of that are crushed and then mixed with oil uh, to make a balm. And, 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 and the oil has a, a balm. It has a, an analgesic, a numbing effect. It also has an antiseptic effect. And so it was used on people's wounds when they got hurt. Uh, and, and actually was quite valuable uh, because of that property. When the spirituals sing of that, you know, they're, they're going back to Jer Jeremiah and saying when, when God's people were in this place and they felt lost, they were crying out for that. The spiritual proclaims that there actually is a balm. I mean, that's the, the, the point of that spiritual is there, there is a balm. And when you're in that dark place and when you're in that place of difficulty, uh, there is a source of healing that God has brought to be with you. Um, and that's healing not just of body, but also of spirit and of heart and of soul. 
And so this morning, I'm, I'm going to speak into that a little bit because it has felt to me for a couple of weeks like we are in a pretty dark kind of place. Uh, and, and so I want to speak into that a little bit about God's uh, place of healing uh, in the midst of that as we move through uh, the aftermath of the results of the uh, called session of General Conference and people are struggling with uh, what that means. First off, I want to tell you, uh, uh, we are a United Methodist Church, uh, and we will continue to be a United Methodist Church. And all of your pastors, all of us who were ordained elders, when we were ordained, we held up our hand and we said, we know what's in the discipline. Uh, we believe the doctrine and beliefs of the church are consistent with scriptures, and we will maintain and teach those. And, uh, and I probably will do a teaching piece later in the year on some of this. Uh, my feeling, and I think all the pastor's feeling, was that at this point in time it really was just uh, too soon and things were too raw uh, to deal with that. But I want to lean into that a little bit. And, and the first thing I want you to do is I want you to hear uh, the primary passage out of the discipline uh, and what it actually says. There's a lot of stuff being circulated around right now. And I want you to hear what it actually says. In this passage, this section of the discipline was not affected by anything that was done in St. Louis. Uh, there's no change to this. So uh, even if, if the court throws out everything that we did in St. Louis, that all the stuff that happened there with General Conference, uh, this language is, is there and will remain. And it comes out of a section called the Social Principles. It says, we affirm that sexuality is God's gift to all persons. We call everyone to responsible stewardship of this sacred gift. Although all persons are sexual beings, whether or not they are married, sexual relations are affirmed only within the covenant of monogamous heterosexual marriage. We deplore all forms of the commercialization, abuse, and exploitation of sex. Uh, there's a call for global enforcement of laws prohibiting that and also for protection of children that get caught up in that. Uh, all persons, regardless of age, gender, marital status, or sexual orientation, are entitled to have their human and civil rights insured and to be protected against violence. We affirm that all persons are individuals of sacred worth created in the image of God. All persons need the ministry of the church in their struggles for human fulfillment, as well as the spiritual and emotional care of a fellowship that enables reconciling relationships with God, with others, and with self. The United Methodist Church does not condone the practice of homosexuality and considers the practice incompatible with Christian teaching. We affirm that God's grace is available to all. We will seek to live together in Christian community, welcoming, forgiving, and loving one another as Christ has loved and accepted us. We implore families and churches not to reject or condemn lesbian and gay members and friends. We commit ourselves to be in ministry for and with all persons. Now, I read this the other night to a group of folks, and, uh, and one of the individuals there that was there astutely commented and said, well, you know, it sounds like that was written by a committee. And, and I said, well, it was. Actually, you know, it was the Legislative Committee of, of General Conference. Back in 1972, uh, wrote that statement, and it's been in effect ever since then. Uh, so, so that's the statement that, that stands and that kind of defines where we are, and, and that's what we have been wrestling with since 1972. Now, you might, that's, that's 47 years. You might think in 47 years we would manage to come to some sort of resolution of that. Uh, but if you're thinking that, what I want you to say is you, you probably do not understand the fundamental nature of this conflict. Um, so I was reading an article, uh, I think last week, 
that was talking about all of this and, and kind of reminded me that we, we understand who we are, we define who we are based on a number of factors, and sexual orientation is one of those, and our, our general sexuality, uh, but also in terms of our family of origin, uh, our personal history and experiences, uh, our training and our skill set, uh, all of the web of relationships with other people that we are in, uh, and our system of values. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, that means our, particularly our faith values and our relationship with God. And all of, those, all of those come together to help us define who we are and understand who we are. And so when we come into a, some of these kind of fundamental issues like this, uh, it's not as simple as we are disagreeing about an idea. We are disagreeing about how we understand who we are. And when you say to someone, you try to convince someone to change their mind, really what you're telling them is you need to change how you understand yourself. And that's a very difficult thing to do. You cannot argue or debate or educate someone into changing that. That comes through virtue of long experience and relationship and the moving of the Spirit. And it's much more difficult than what most of us want to uh, agree and honor. So there's, there's a group of us you've heard me talk about out of uh, my church that I grew up in down in Corpus Christi. Uh, we've been getting together uh, ever since we were in middle school. Uh, we have a group that stayed in touch with each other. Uh, we have close relationship. We do retreats every so often. We get together for significant events, you know, marriages and births and deaths and things like that. And, and, uh, and we, we hold each other very uh, much in love and care for each other. Uh, about the time that I was appointed to serve this church, one of my friends out of that group uh, entered into a same-sex marriage with another woman out in California. And, and, and we begin to have conversation about what that means and how we deal with that. And one of the things we learned from her, and one of the things that she shared with us, is that uh, she grew up in the same church we did. She was nurtured by the church. Her faith was grown in that church. But at this point in time now, she feels rejected by, that church, by the church. And that's a very painful place for her to be. And those of us who love her, we're, we're, we're experiencing some of that pain with her. I mean, I, I can't pretend to experience the fullness of that. But, but we suffer some with her because, as Paul reminds us, you know, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. But the other part of that is not only do we suffer with her, but for some of us, especially the, the three of us out of that group that went on to be ordained elders, uh, there's a certain amount of pain because who we are, who we are and how we understand ourselves is part of what causes pain for her. And so we have this fundamental conflict with, with where part of who she is and, and part of who I am rub up against each other in very uncomfortable kinds of ways and very painful kinds of ways. And we have, over the past decades, made a decision that our friendship is valuable enough that we want to focus on that and we will tolerate the differences. I don't know that we will always be able to do that or do it going forward. But that's how we have lived up to this point. And that's the same situation we find within the church where, where we have these different pieces. And it, it, it's not as simple as just, you know, getting somebody to change their mind. Uh, these are fundamental conflicts that we are in. And they are uncomfortable. And the truth is that, that oftentimes when you are arguing or debating with someone or trying to convince them that you're right and they're wrong, what they're hearing is not you're not getting this idea right. What they're hearing is there's something wrong with you. 
And whichever side of the debate you're on, if you continue that long enough, you will probably drive them away before you'll convince them. It is more fundamental than we want to acknowledge. And it's more difficult than what we want to acknowledge. And, and, and with my friend, you know, we've just had to live into that and say, you know, I, I, I don't know how to fix this. I, I don't. I don't know how to make it okay. Because fundamentally part of how I understand myself and part of how she understands herself are in conflict. And so we've had to trust that God's going to be in the midst of that. And just invite God to be in that relationship. Because sometimes there's things that, you know, you and I, we just can't fix. We can't make it right. And we just have to lean into God and trust that God's got it. Trust that God has it. That God's love and God's healing and God's mercy will be enough. So I want to give you two pictures of what the church can look like as we come out of General Conference and all of that big hoop to do Monday night, uh, our delegation all went to dinner. Uh, and that was the delegates, uh, those of us who were alternates, uh, as well as some of the observers and spouses. And we went to a, a Mexican food restaurant in St. Louis for dinner. Who knew that St. Louis had good Mexican food? It does. Uh, so we went, we had dinner, and we had a wonderful evening. Uh, we are, uh, as a group, that body, uh, we are of very different minds on a lot of this. Uh, we're in very different places. And yet we came together and we shared a meal together and talked about it and shared with one another and, and had a wonderful evening together. Some of us have shared in ministry in this area for decades, and that shared ministry and that shared love of Christ was the thing that held us together in spite of our differences and, and the conflict. And it was a wonderful evening. It was a gracious evening. That's one picture of what the church can look like. The next morning, we walked into the Dome of the Americas. And as we walked in, we went past one set of protesters who were yelling at us that we were perverts. And as we got inside, there was another group of protesters inside who were explaining to us that we were murderers. And there was a spirit of, of division and adversarial maneuvering in the room. And, and, and as I sat there and listened to that and watched that, I thought that, you know, Satan, whose other name in the Old Testament is the adversary, was really celebrating over that division in the church. And that's another picture of what the church can look like. So I can, I can tell you what I think, and I can lead you in certain directions and all that, but the truth of the matter is you're the ones who will decide which of those two pictures we're going to be. Whether we are going to agree for the sake of the greater calling to be gracious with one another, even when we don't agree with one another, and, and even when fundamentally we, we are in conflict with one another, or whether we're going to decide to descend into open conflict. And the only way to be gracious with one another is to invite God into the midst of that. Now, that's the scriptural answer. If you go back into scripture and we have God's people who are in that bad place and they're stuck and they're torn up and they don't know what to do. I mean, again, the psalmist David tells us, you know, I walk through the darkest valley. I fear no evil because you're with me. Because you're with me, God. You're a rod, your staff, you, you direct me, you comfort me. And, and Jeremiah would speak to the people of Israel when they went back to resettle the city of Jerusalem. 
I'm going to bring Jerusalem recovery and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. This word of promise of God's presence with them. And in Matthew's gospel, you hear some, a kind of similar vein of reassurance coming from Jesus to his disciples. And, and we, we need to remember that at this point in time, remember, his, his disciples have left behind their families and their businesses. And some of the people they've left behind think they have lost their minds. And some of the people they've left behind think Jesus has lost his mind. And so this is a radical thing that they have done in leaving all that behind. And Jesus says to them, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So my brothers and sisters this morning, I'm going to encourage you to lean into God and invite God into all of this mess. Uh, I I don't know exactly what's going to happen with all of it. Uh, And uh, again, I I don't know anybody that does, although I have some ideas about what might happen. But, you know, that's my guess. But I do know that, that, that the only way we're going to move through it with any kind of grace or wholeness is if we invite God to be in the middle of it. So what I want you to do is I'm, I'm going to invite you to stand, and, and I want to pray over you a prayer that comes from many, many, many years ago uh, from our brothers and sisters a, a long time ago. This is an updated version of a prayer that was used when people received the balm of Gilead for healing. So I want to invite you to stand, and, and if you would reach out and take hold of the hand of someone near you. We're going to start this little part Uh, with just a little proclamation of of the pain that this has caused among us. Say this with me. Lord, I call to you. Please help me. My heart is torn and ripped and broken. I am betrayed again. I feel raw. I despair. I am afraid. And my spirit is faint. This hurt might consume me. I cannot speak. And then receive this prayer. Precious Lord, Prince of Peace, I lift these children of yours into the light of your love. Please, Lord, let us know your hand on our chest and on our back and your spirit over our hearts. Let us melt into your presence as you are very near. Hold us as we collapse into your arms that can truly heal and save. In your mighty power, send from us as far as the east is to the west any evil or destructive force that would cause further harm. May the warmth of your love melt any obstacle or hardness that would hinder your spirit from permeating our wounds. Cover the raw and torn place with the very healing balm of Gilead. Lord, our Redeemer, our Savior, wrapped our damaged, broken hearts with your bindings, delivered with your loving hands, 
so that our hearts come back to the shape you intend. Let your bindings cover our wound as the balm permeates and your spirit restores. Let your promises flood our soul. I pray that this time of healing you have begun in us may be set aside as a sacred season where we know your presence as a small child knows a loving father or mother. Hold us on your lap. Let us marvel in your patience. I praise you that you, O Lord, stay with us, that you see us through our seasons again and again, believing and standing firm in your promises. I claim by faith for us the glorious day when you will remove the bindings to find our hearts restored and our souls mounting up on wings like eagles and soaring in your love. O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And in the name of Jesus Christ, let it be so. Amen.